0: Thank you so much for that. Good evening, church family, and happy Sunday night. How many of y'all got a nap today? Let's do that the other way. How many of y'all did not get a nap today? All right, now this is not the time, all right? So uh, this is not a good time. Take your Bible and find again the book of Job chapter one, would you? Job chapter one, one more time. It's been a blessing to be with you today and an honor, and Bethany and I are just so thankful that uh, we got to come. I was here a few years ago just for a Sunday morning, and I spoke in uh, the youth uh, youth revival. I think it was in those days. And what you called it? And uh, but my wife was not able to be here, and so I'm so happy she was able to join me this time. And we've enjoyed our fellowship today with Pastor, with his family, and with all of y'all. You've been uh, just a great blessing to be around, and I'm so very thankful for it. We don't take it at all for granted, and I hope you'll check out our podcast if you haven't already. The Keeping It Young podcast. You can find it on Spotify, Apple, iTunes, Pandora, just about anywhere. And uh, we'd love to have you join us on there. Right now, we're tomorrow morning, we're starting a series on depression and how it relates to our families. That'll be three weeks on depression. And we've just talked about anger and fear. We talk about raising children, about having a happy marriage. And if you've never checked it out, I hope you will. And if you'd like to follow our ministry a little bit, evangelistdaveyoung.com. You can sign up for our newsletter. And we try to send that out at least once a month just to keep people aware of where we are. Uh, we'll be home for a few days. I'm flying out in the morning and uh, should be home uh, if, uh, if airlines are better than the way out here. I should be home tomorrow by noon. And then I get to be home uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then Thursday, Bethlehem goes to San Antonio for a ladies' meeting and while she's in San Antonio, I'll take my daughter and we'll hit the road and go to Alabama. We've got a youth conference in Alabama next weekend. And then I kick off an eight-day revival. And I'll be at a church in Alabama. And then from Alabama, we've got a couple of days at home. And then we go to Ohio and Virginia and North Carolina. Then we got a few more days at home. Then we go from there, uh, let's see, uh, to uh, Virginia, three meetings in West Virginia and then we're home from Mother's Day. So busy days. We travel a lot. God's been so good to us. And I'm so honored to be a part of your lives today. It's just been a great day. I just, I love your church. Y'all like your church? Amen. And the music's amazing. Y'all know that, don't you? The music's amazing. And uh, your pastor, he's all right. And uh, <laughs> uh, he's amazing. And uh, I couldn't believe this morning that if you were in Sunday school, you, you miss this if you were not in Sunday school. But this morning in Sunday school, he said, I remind him of just like sitting around a grandparent's table. And uh, I not know what I thought about that, but I am a grandpa, so I'll take it. And I'm happy, grandpa. I'm just so blessed. And God's just so good. I'm so happy to be with you all. Thank you for being here tonight. Job chapter one in your Bible. And let's begin again. Verse one, you know what to write beside of verse one, don't you? What you write beside of verse 1 is this, man, quite a man, quite a man. Look at it. There was a man in the land of Oz whose name was Job. That man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Boy, that's quite a man, isn't it? What in the world? Where do you get a man like this? Where do you get a man like that? I know some of you ladies are thinking that. Where do you get a man like that? Uh, But this is a good question. Where do you get a man like that? Here's a man that, man, he's the real deal. He's a, he's a godly man. He's on fire for the Lord. What a, what a man. He, he's perfect. He's mature spiritually. He's upright. He's righteous. Uh, he fears God. He eschews evil. Uh, you know about all those, everybody in this room, everybody. I, I'm assuming it's Sunday night and y'all are here. So I'm assuming you're the good ones, right? Because it's Sunday night. Look at y'all here. Just, that's good. God bless you. A lot of churches don't even have church on Sunday night anymore. Can you all believe that? But we do, right? We do. We're independent Baptists. That's how we know we're right. Come on, help me out here. Because if we were right, if we weren't right, we'd change, and we never change. Give me an amen right there. That's how we know we're right. Y'all with me on this? And here y'all are on Sunday night. So I'm assuming you're good people. You wouldn't come to church on Sunday night, probably, if you weren't good people. But you know, the point is not just being, not just going to church, not just sitting in a pew, but every one of us ought to be spiritually mature. We ought to be headed in that direction, shouldn't we? Uh, we ought to. We ought to be growing in the lord are you growing in the lord you a better christian now than you maybe ever have been you're more loving more gentle more gracious read your bible more pray every day give out tracts talk to people about jesus trying to have a godly family he's a spiritually mature man that's that word perfect and he avoids evil that's the last thing he says there he avoids evil we have a lot of opportunities for that in our culture don't we to avoid evil and he uh, he fears God. He, he's upright. And then notice beside of verse two, you know what to write there, don't you? Uh, beside of verse one, you write quite a man. Beside of verse two, you write quite a family. And here he is. He had th- uh, seven sons and three daughters. Seven sons and three daughters. Isn't that great? Happy is the man whose quiver is full. Isn't that great? You ought to have as many kids as you want. And maybe maybe just just go all out and and beat the duggers. Uh, just uh, build a church. Can you imagine? Ten kids. That's a lot of kids, isn't it? What a what an exciting family that must have been. Ten kids. Happy is the man. What does that mean? Happy is the man whose quiver is full. Maybe it just means, maybe it just means that if you have that many, you're delirious. I don't know. <laughs> but it probably means the more kids you have, the happier you'll be. I think there's some truth to that. Uh, we just love being a family. Kids will make you laugh, won't they? Kids will make you laugh, won't they? They sure will. I remember my Abby. Abby was our first. I taught her how to pray. She started talking when she was like eight or nine months old and quite well. You could understand her pretty well. She's she's brilliant. And uh, she's our smart kid. And and she married a genius. And that's the truth. The two of them together. I can't wait to see what their kids are going to be like. But uh, Abby, I taught her to pray. And I normally lead her in prayer. I'd say, dear God. And we'd go to bed at night and pray. Dear God. She'd say, dear God. And I'd say, you know, I'd pray and she'd repeat it. And I'd say in Jesus name, she never repeated that because she knew it was done. She'd, she'd, she'd rush right in. Amen. And one night I asked her to, you know, you want to pray for yourself? I don't know how old she was. She probably 15 months old, 16 months old. You want to pray for yourself? And uh, she sat up in the bed and she started praying. She said, dear Jesus, help me to be a good girl. My heart said, Amen. Josh was a baby. She said, help you to be a good boy. My heart said, amen. And then she said, and oh, dear Jesus, please save my daddy. <laughs> well, glory to God. There's hope for me. The kids will make you laugh, won't they? Matthew, my son, Matthew, he's a youth pastor in Alabama. He always had us in stitches. I mean, that kid made us laugh all the time. He's he a teenager. He met me in the hallway one night, came down the middle of the hallway and I was getting ready to go to bed and he grabbed my face. He's a six foot something. He grabbed my face, you know, and pulled me over and kissed me on top of the head. And then he said, good night, father. Sleep well. Most likely I will still love you in the morning. <laughs> well, all right. I took, to, I took him to Starbucks. We had a, we got a drink at Starbucks one day. I had to have a little dad talk with him. We had a little dad talk. I don't know what it was about now. We're leaving Starbucks, driving out, you know, pulling out of the road. I'm in the car and he reached over and patted my hand. He's a teenager, patted me on the head. He said, you know, dad, he said, once again, you've proven yourself to be a meaningful and valuable member of this family. <laughs> well, thanks, son. I'm not sure what to say to that. One time he caught me off guard. We, after church, our family, family night for us was Sunday night. Family day was Friday, but family night was Sunday night. We always go to church on Sunday night and And, you know, we had fellowship and enjoy the preaching, sing, give. And then we always went home to watch a film. We always watched a film on Sunday night. I'd say movie, but I'm in a pen Baptist. So we went home to watch a film. and, And on the way home that night, we stopped at a pizza place. we have five kids. We're in the van. We have a big van. We're driving our van home from church. And I picked up two or three pizzas, heading on back to the kids. It's only three miles to the house. I'm almost at the house when I realized the kids were eating the pizza. And it wasn't a big deal. You know, we just were lighthearted. And I said to the kids, what is wrong with you guys? My son Matthew said, well, probably poor parenting. (laughs) It's true. Can you imagine what it must have been like to have seven sons and three daughters? Especially as happy as they were. Now they're grown adults when you get to verse four and they're still happy. They get together, eat together and celebrate. This must have been quite a family, don't you think? Here's quite a man. Here's quite a family. Here's quite the wealth. His substance was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels. He had the oxen. He had the donkeys. He's the greatest man in the East. This is quite a family and quite a wealth, wouldn't you say? I like farming, don't you? Can you imagine having uh, 7,000 sheep? Man, that's a, that's a bad deal. Isn't it? <laughs> wow, that was really bad. That's really, really I do love animals. I was raised on a farm. I love cows. Y'all like cows, don't you? I remember last time I was here, I think it was Pastor, Pastor Prater the Elder. How do you differentiate that? He's bald <laughs> Pastor Prater the Bald. Um, he, he told me that, that the cattle smell around here was the smell of money. Is that true? I like cows. I do. You know what you call a cow that just had a baby, right? That's decaffeinated. I don't know what it must have been like. This must have been quite a family. Can you imagine? All these cows and all these sheep and all these camels. Man, this was quite a wealth. And then you get down to that last verse in this paragraph, verse 5. The Bible says, And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about. They're done with their feast now. Job sent and sanctified them. And rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For he said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. I've been talking to you today a little bit about winning, about a family that won. And we talked about that this morning. How, 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 how did they win? What was the key to their victory? And we talked this morning, if you were here, that Job had a character culture in his family. Y'all remember that? And a counter culture and a Christian culture. But I want to give you another lesson tonight. Lessons from a family that won. I, I have two to give you tonight based on the fifth verse. I, I like to win. Are you with me on that? I like to win arguments. Anybody here like that? I read somewhere that arguing with your wife is like a software agreement on your computer. You have no idea what it says. So you better just hit I agree. And I don't, I don't know about that or not. But I like to win. And I want to tell you. It's always a sad thing. Tell me if this is true. It's always a sad thing when a family loses. You ever notice this? The Bible is filled with families that lost, that struggled. In a sense, I'm glad the Bible puts that in there. You know why? It's encouraging to many of us, isn't it? It's not uncommon to struggle in a family. All of us want to see our kids do well. Is that an amen? And sometimes our kids, with their sin nature, don't. I, I, I'm a strong believer in train up a child in the way he should go so that when he's old, you'll not depart from it. Are you a believer in that? But I'm also aware of the fact that our kids grow up with a sin nature and a free will. Y'all believe that, right? My goal is still to train my children well. I, I don't know all that Job did. The Bible doesn't give us all the detail. But since he's a spiritually mature man who's upright and fears God and issues evil... There's a reason his kids are well and and I didn't read it for sake of time but there's a reason you go to chapter 42 and find out that God blesses his family doubly so in the end and this old man lives to be 140 and dies and all is well and the Bible is very clear that part of the reason all is well is it's connected to the blessings of his family. All of us could do well at home. All of us should... Do well at home. All of us should work on our kids and work on our grandkids. You may be a little disappointed in your adult son or daughter, but don't you have grandkids? Get at it. Pray with them. Pray for them. When they do come over, spend a little time with them. Take them fishing. Spend a little time. Work on your grandkids. Job, you get the idea here that Job was very interested in his family. And one of the reasons we admire job is it appears from everything the bible tells us in job is that job's family won and man says yeah but his 10 kids were killed all at one time in that great storm yeah but you know even that that that's a grief isn't it but if i believe what if what i believe about heaven is true i I mean i don't think they'd want to come back would they i mean y'all believe in heaven or not do you believe it's a land that is fairer than day? That there's no sickness, no suffering, no sorrow, no crying, no disease, no death, no decay there. Do you believe that in that land? Can you imagine what's like? Don't you feel sorry for Lazarus in the Bible? Lazarus died and was in the presence of God. Can you imagine that? No suffering, no disease. I can, I can list them again. Jesus brought him back. I can't prove this, but I have the idea when he came out of the grave, he was mad. I have the idea. He probably walked out going, seriously? And they spends the rest of his life, they, they, all the rest of his life, they said, we'll kill him again. Can you imagine? Don't you feel sorry for him? I, I, I get it. I get it. This is a tough situation. But Job's first 10 kids are in heaven. I, uh, I, I can stop right there and say this. I don't like the way they got there, but my plan, my heart, my prayer, my goal is that I take all my kids to heaven with me. Y'all with me on that? I want my kids to go to heaven. I want my grandkids to go to heaven. Y'all with me on that? There's all kinds of lessons here about this family that won. The fifth verse is what I want to zero in on tonight. One of the reasons Job was a victorious man, and one of the reasons his family won, notice in the fifth verse, it's connected to prayer. Did y'all pick up on that? Job's probably somewhere between 60 and 80 in the fifth verse here. We don't know exactly the Bible is a bit unclear, but, but that's probably reasonable to say. I think most commentaries would put him somewhere in there. And, and it's interesting here that what Job did was, and we, we get this, this little glimpse here, you get this idea of two things. Number one, you get the idea that Job had a family altar. And number two, you get the idea that Job had a prayer life. You get that idea, don't you? So let's take a few moments and address those two things. Number one, would this be obvious If we're going to win at home, we ought to be people of prayer. Could we start there? The Bible says at the end of that fifth verse, thus did Job continually. What did Job do continually? He prayed. Continually. And the connection of praying continually is about his family. He's praying for his sons and his daughters and he's spiritually concerned about them. This This is an important matter, brothers and sisters. Christians ought to be people who pray. So I just say to you, pray. Uh, make, it a, make it a priority of your life. That you're going to pray. Make it a priority. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray for my children. How, how many of y'all know this? Uh, think of it like this. How many of y'all know that you can pray anywhere? How many of y'all know that? Can you pray while you're driving? If you live in our day, you should. Can you pray while you're working? Can you pray while you're working out, while you're exercising? Yeah, but you know, there's a sense in which there's a level of praying that is different than the, I can pray anywhere. Is that right? Jesus said, for instance, I think it's on the next screen. Show me the next screen, brothers. Uh, we ought to pray personally. Now, now go one more screen and watch this right here. If I'm going to pray personally, uh, here's four recommendations. Number one, I ought to have a place. You remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, when you pray, enter into your, do you remember the word? Your closet. How many of you have ever seen the movie War Room? You ever seen that movie? In that movie, the lady who's concerned about her family, her husband, her marriage, she goes to her walk-in closet, takes everything out of it, and turns it into a prayer meeting, or a prayer room, rather. That's not the idea of necessarily. It's not wrong to do that. What, what the Bible means when Jesus said, enter into your closet, he just means a place where you can meet with God. Pretty simple, isn't it? Papa Young, my dad's dad, I uh, got saved later in life. Uh, my dad was an older teenager, was almost leaving home when his dad got saved. They they were a rough family, brutal. My papa uh, dairy farmed a little bit. They, they milked cows by hand. They had no electricity. Uh, he moonshined. Uh, he did make, make liquor, moonshine, and sometimes worked in the coal mines. He was a hardworking, brutal, vicious, angry, difficult man. But he went to a revival meeting one night and got saved. I mean, just got gloriously saved. The man never read a book in his life because he never learned to read. He had no education at all. Couldn't sign his own name. He didn't know the alphabet. But after he got saved, every morning when milking was done, he would send the boys home for breakfast. They milked before breakfast. And my dad told me that Papaw would say, All right, go, Uh, guys, run home and get breakfast and tell your mom, I'll be there in a minute. I'll be there in a few minutes. And, and and every evening when milking was done, all right, guys, go home and get supper, and tell your mom I'll be there in a few minutes. And my dad said, "I thought, what's what's he doing in this dairy barn? We've we're done with milking, we've taken care of the milk and the cows and cleaned it all up. And what's what's he doing?" So my dad said, one day I went back down to the barn. Rather than go in for for supper, I went back to the barn, and 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 my dad told me that my papa had built a little altar in the corner of the dairy barn. He couldn't read. He didn't have any education. And and some of his older kids were already really, I say it gently and sadly, but some of his older kids were already on the way to hell. And and doubly so. But that old man got saved. God changed his life. And he found a prayer closet in a dairy barn. You could start one. Have a place. Might be your kitchen table. Might be your bedroom. Might be your basement. Might be your garage. Might be your man cave if you're into that sort of thing. Might, might be your trot, but find a place to pray where you regularly have a time. Do you remember this? One of my memory verses for the month of January. The, the psalmist said, evening, morning, and noon, will I pray and cry aloud, and the Lord shall hear my voice. The psalmist said he prayed three times a day. Who else in the Bible do you know that specifically prayed three times a day? Are you aware? His name's Daniel. In fact, Daniel's house shows up uh, two times in the book of Daniel. And both times you find Daniel's house, there's a prayer meeting there. The first time is when Nebuchadnezzar uh, was, uh, had a dream and, and couldn't remember, or actually could remember his dream, but was testing his magicians and, and, and wouldn't tell him the dream, but wanted interpretation. Daniel called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego together and they went to his house and they prayed to the God of heaven who knows the secrets of mankind. And God told Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, God told them what Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed in private and Daniel walked in and told him, There is a God in heaven. It's shouting ground if you get it in your heart. Uh, In his first place, is that, the the second one's Daniel chapter 6, when the king said, if you pray to anybody but me, we'll throw you in the lion's den. And Daniel went to his house and got on his knees and prayed three times a day, the Bible said. Notice he had a place. He had a time. I'd suggest kneel if you can. How many of y'all know you don't have to kneel to pray? How many of y'all know that? You find in the Bible that David sat in the presence of God. The Bible doesn't even tell us how Job prayed in this passage, so we don't know whether he knelt or stood. Remember, Solomon in the temple prayed like this. He knelt and raised his hands toward heaven. That's how he prayed. I have a pastor friend that prays on his face. It's kind of awkward. The first time I went in there, we were going to pray before the service and I was nervous to be at his church and a little nervous about preaching. And, and he said, hey, let's have a word of prayer. And we stepped in his office and he said, all right, let's pray by the line. We gotta, we gotta get out there fast. Let's pray. And I, you know, I bowed my head. We're standing up. I, I bowed my head and I heard all this commotion. Opened my eyes. And he's flat on his face like this. And I didn't know what to do. I mean, do I join him? You know, I didn't know what to do. I was, it caught me a little bit off guard. So he prays on his face. I have this one pastor friend that wants to hold your hands when he prays with you. Now, just for the record, I struggle with that. He's married. He's godly. He loves the Lord. He always says, "Let's pray," <laughs> and I'm like, "No." This just makes me uncomfortable. And the first time he ever did it, I got caught off guard. Next thing I know, I was holding hands, and I was, like, you know, I wasn't praying. I was thinking, "This is weird. His hands are clammy. This is weird." And 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 the next time I went in, I knew what was coming. He said, "Let's pray." I said, "No, Lord." And uh, I started praying before he could hold my hand. Well, there's a, the, song, the, the writer of the New Testament says you can pray if you're a male. Do you know this brothers? This, Paul told Timothy, I would that men pray, men, the word is males. I would that males, men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Are you brothers aware of the fact that if you're a man, this is an appropriate way to pray? Do y'all know that? Some of you've never prayed like this, but I'd recommend you try it. Try it in private. Next time pastor says, let's, let's open the service in prayer. Well, just try it. Put your hands in the air and pray with him. See what would people think? Well, if they're praying, they won't know. And if they're looking and judging you, then you better pray for them. Can I get a witness here? See, somebody said, well, isn't that kind of cultural? Yeah, it probably is. It's probably cultural. Because, you know, there's cultural things in the Bible. Are y'all with me on that? I read in my Bible, greet the brethren with a holy kiss. I've been at your church for 48 hours. Not one brother has greeted me with a holy kiss. Can I just testify? Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Praise the Lord. But would it be wrong? Girls, it wouldn't be wrong. It'd be a little weird, wouldn't it? If, If all the brothers in the church greeted each other with a kiss, that'd be weird, wouldn't it? But it wouldn't be wrong. I was in this one church in Alabama and this old man greeted me with a kiss during the fellowship time, right before I preached. He said, came around. I thought he was coming in for a hug. He was not. Brother came in gave me a smooch. And I was a little caught off guard. I was like, that brother just kissed me. And it, it stunned me. And he opened my coat like this after he kissed me, put something in my pocket. I didn't even remember that because I was so startled. So I got back to my RV that night, Pat, my R V parked behind the church building. And I remembered he put something in my pocket. You know what? You know what? I went up there and looked. That man gave me $1,000. I'm serious. I was like, the next night, I was like, where is he? Praise God. (laughs) That man can kiss me anytime he wants to. Can I get a witness? See, see, Job had a prayer life. And and here's what we found. We, We can have a place. We can set aside a time. Maybe kneel. Maybe make a list. Should you, should you not at the very least pray for yourself every day? Shouldn't you pray for your spouse? How many of you men in this room are married? Raise your hand if you're married. Shouldn't you pray for your wife? Bless her heart, she's married to you. Shouldn't we pray for our spouses? Do you pray for your kids by name every day? How many of you have grandchildren? Do you pray for them every day by name? Do y'all believe God is real? Do y'all believe God hears and answers prayer? Your kid's far from God? Are you praying up a storm about it? Don't don't get discouraged. Don't think, well, I don't know. I prayed a long time. They're still not responding. The God of heaven will never force your children against their will. But I will promise you if you're praying, the God of heaven is at work in the hearts of your son and daughter. Did I say that right? God will never force your children against their will. But if you are praying, the God of heaven is working. He always does that. He promises to do that. And can I just remind you, brothers and sisters, he loves your children more than you do. So you know he's working in answer to your prayers. We ought to pray more than we do. Let's start a prayer life. Let's pray up a storm. Let's seek the Lord. Let's cry out to God. Let's just ask God to help us. Let's pray personally. Let's pray as a parent. Let's pray as a parent. Job is a dad who prays for his family. Notice how concerned he is for them. He prays for his family. Pray as a parent. I would say to you, uh, Fellowship Baptist Church, pray as a church. As a church, believe God. You ever read the, you ever read the Lord's Prayer? The, he, he says there, when you pray, pray like this: Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Uh, thy will be done. Uh, how's that go? Thy will be done on earth. As it is in heaven. You ever ever read that part of it? Thy will be done on earth. As it is in heaven. I don't. I don't fully understand that. It implies that God's will is always done in heaven. Is that fair? It also implies that God's will is not always done on this earth. And the implication further is. That God's will being done on this earth is connected to our praying. I can't explain that to you. I know that God is the ruler of all. I know he sits on the circle of the earth and on the throne of the universe. I know he's almighty and he can do anything he wants to do. But he tells us to pray that his will will be done on earth. I, I, I wonder if we as a church unified together and started praying up a storm for souls to be saved and, and for more souls to be saved and for families to be restored. Do you suppose if we prayed for more miracles, we would see them? How many of y'all believe God's that real? All right, I got to close here in just a moment. Can you agree with me that we ought to be people of prayer? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be a lesson we can learn from Job in verse five? But I want to suggest to you one more thing. Not only should we be people of prayer, I want to suggest to you that our homes should be places of prayer. I want to suggest that to you. Look, look at this. It was so, I'm in verse five, when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. How many of you know this? The family altar is increasingly rare. How many of y'all know that? It's hard to find one. I was joking a moment ago when I said, we're independent Baptists and therefore we're right. There was a little bit of a joke in that. You know that, right? But in a sense, independent Baptists still believe the Bible. We believe the fundamentals. We believe in the virgin birth and the deity of Christ, the vicarious atonement, the bodily resurrection. We believe, we believe, we believe the fundamentals. We believe there are things essential to the gospel essential, foundational to our truths, our beliefs, our church. We, we, we could, in a sense, say, we really do believe that we're pursuing God with all of our heart. And yet, in churches like ours, it can be hard to find a family altar. We need to change that. We need to, brothers and sisters, pick it up again and pray with our sons and daughters and our husbands and wives. You don't have to be weird about it. The Bible doesn't give us a time on it. We sing it. Sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer. That calls us from a world of care. But the Bible never commands us that we have to pray an hour. All we know here is that he prayed and it was early and he got his kids to come join him. That's the implication of verse 5. The Bible says it was something he had done continually. Why is this families grown now and have homes of their own and still getting together. And why is it that as this scene comes to an end, the next scene says that in heaven, the devil shows up and God says, you want to know a real deal believer in me? Check out Job. Notice the connection was back to who Job was and what his family did. He was the real deal. In fact, I have a little outline here for you on the screen. Job had a genuine foundation for his family altar. It was real Christianity. The foundation's verse one. Job, where'd you how where, how how'd you get your adult children to come for prayer? And, and how'd you do this? How'd this work? How was your family so successful? Well, because verse one tells us there's real Christianity. It's it's hard for me and you to have a family altar if we're not walking with God. Is that fair? If things aren't right in my life, if I'm far from God, if my heart's cold, if I'm complacent, if I'm bitter, if I'm angry, if I'm upset, but if I'm pursuing spiritual maturity and I'm trying to be an upright man and I'm, I fear God and I eschew evil, there's a foundation that says I can get a hold of the God of the universe on behalf of my family. He had a foundation. Number two, there was faithfulness. The Bible word here is continually, continually continually that's faithfulness the the, the third word is fervency there's a foundation that's real christianity there's a faithfulness that's continually there's a fervency to his prayer it's summed up in the phrase great concern for me do you get the idea that he's concerned about his kids i i just think that in a sense there's almost humor in the way he says it it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed god in their hearts Daddy, can I ask you a question, Daddy? You, you dads here tonight, I'm assuming you really love the Lord or you wouldn't be in Sunday night service. But dads, are you that fervently concerned about your sons and daughters? God, it may be that my son's not doing well. Oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord. You know what fervency is, don't you? In the New Testament, in the book of James, he says the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man does what? Y'all know? Avails much. Let me answer a question. Is Job a righteous man? Chapter 1, verse 1 says he is. Uh, is he fervent about this? He prays continually. He gets up early in the morning for prayer. He's concerned about his children. There's no doubt. This man is fervent about it. Did it make a difference? So much so that one verse or two later, in heaven itself, the God of heaven challenges the forces of hell there is a real deal christian and you can't do anything about it that's pretty amazing that's pretty amazing isn't it what's the lesson the lesson is that our homes ought to be places of prayer so brothers and sisters i'm here to tell you two things tonight number one number one god wants you to win at home so start a prayer life Pray up a storm for your sons and your daughters. Pray for yourself. Pray for your spouse. Start a prayer life. You teenagers can start a prayer life. You don't have to be weird about it. But maybe, maybe kneel at least a few moments every day and talk to God. He's real. He hears prayer. He does miracles. I can. I could stand here probably for at least three or four hours. And just tell you story after story in these last 30 years of ministry where we've said to God, God, here's a need. Lord, here's a need. God, you've got to meet this need. And we've seen God just show up and show out. God just, I could tell you miracles. Boy, God, look what God did. Look what God did. My goodness, look how God answered that prayer. I got a little prayer journal back in the motel. Over there in my briefcase in the motel, right here in, in, in Liberal, Kansas, right over there at the holiday Inn. I got a little prayer journal over there, and I got things that are just marked out all through that thing. God answered that. And God answered that. And that was a need, and God answered that. And that was a need and God answered that. I'm just telling you all to pray. You ought to start a prayer life. Your family needs you to pray. But I'm here to tell you tonight you ought to start a family altar. Job had one. Can you line up there? You got a foundation. You're the real deal Christian. Well, if you're not, let's make things right tonight. Let's get on our knees tonight and say, God, I ought to change that and I could be better here. The Bible does say if, 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 if I know to do right and don't do it, it's sin. So if there's an area in my life, somebody says, you know, I ought to be a better soul winner. All right, then pick it up. Now, I ought to read my Bible more. Well, then all right, get at it. You know, I ought to be more gentle to my spouse. All right, then get going. I ought to be a better daddy. Well, then pick it up, sir. Pick it up. I ought to do a better job training my children. Well, then get at it. We all ought to be the real deal Christians, shouldn't we? Yes or no? Shouldn't we? And shouldn't we continually seek God? We ought to pray, oh, God is real and we need him. Your home needs him. Your spouse needs him. Your kids and grandkids. So we ought to pray continually and we ought to be fervent about it. Lord, it Lord, it may be. Lord, it may be. Lord, it may be. And the Bible says if we pray, it avails much if we pray like that. If the success of your kids is based on your prayer life, how are they going to do? If the success of your grandkids is based on your prayer life, do you suppose they'll succeed? I'm not trying to be mean about it tonight. I'm just telling you God is real. And where do you get a man like Job and a family like Job's? And, and where, where, how do you read a whole book here that is the tragedy of this book is appalling? Appalling. The the suffering of this book is startling, and yet it begins with victory and it ends with victory. It begins with a happy home and it ends with a happy home. How do you how, do you, how does this happen? Because there was a man in the book of Job who knew how to pray and did, and had a family altar and did it continually. And here is what I love about this: anybody here can do it. You say, "Now, hold on, brother Dave. I'm not a preacher like you preachers. I'll do that sort of thing. I don't. Well, don't make it a difficult thing. Go home tonight." And, uh, and, and, and just think for a moment. Say, what could I do to start a prayer life? When could I pray? Daniel prayed evening, morning, and noon. Probably got that from Psalm 55, 17, where the psalmist said, I pray evening, morning, and noon. See, so just, I don't know, I wouldn't command it. So I can pray every morning at 6 a.m. for five minutes. All right, start. I'll, I'll pray just before I go to bed. I'll pray just before I go to bed for a few minutes. I'll pray on my lunch break for a few minutes. Kneel if you can. But just start one. And go home tonight and say, what could we do? Maybe have a talk with your spouse or maybe your whole family. Get your whole family together tonight and, and, and shut down the TV for a few moments. And put down the phones and just say, you know what, Brother Young said we ought to start a family altar. How could we do that? And, and here's what we do. We, we close our day. We just shut down the day. Our day's over. Going to get ready for bed. Before we get ready for bed, let's read something in the Bible and have prayer together. I mean, that's not hard. We just opened the Bible. We've been reading through Proverbs lately. We're almost done with it. And, and I've kind of interrupted Proverbs. I've been reading Colossians 3, just a couple of verses with the kids at a time. Just We're not even reading that out loud together. I'm reading that. Just telling the kids about setting their affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Now, when I get home tomorrow, I got the next section. I'm gonna talk to my kids about killing things. Because the Bible says in, Colossians 3, you've got to mortify the works of the flesh. The word mortify means you've got to kill it. You've got to put it to death. You've got, you got to kill fornication. You've got to kill it. You've got, you got to murder it. That's strong language in the Bible. We're not going to have a sermon. We're not going to have an invitation. We're not going to sing Just As I Am and have music. we just going to read something from the Bible. And here's what we do. So, all right, now let's pray. What should we pray about we share requests? we got a good friend and their daughter's a senior in high school and she's already had a kidney transplant, but it failed. She had to have another one. She's been pretty sick. They couldn't do the transplant because her blood count was bad. And so our family, we weren't the only ones, but our family, we prayed for each other every night. And and then we'd pray for Gabby. God, you got to get her strong enough to get this, this, this kidney. And Lord, this kidney, help it to work right away. Just God, do a miracle here. And she had that transplant and, and they sent us a message. It's a miracle. She's doing great. See, our family had a part in that. So they weren't even better than anybody else, but we did talk to God about it. Praise God. We, we Look at what God did. See, you ought to pray like that so your kids can see God. Your kids need shoes? All right, say, God, Got to provide shoes for our kids. You can go buy them. Just go charge them if you want to. Maybe just pray about it. Let's say, I asked God for a new suit one day. I said, God, I need a new suit. My suits were getting worn out. My wife went shopping at a GW Fashion. You ever heard of those? She went to Goodwill. uh, I I almost never go in there much. I mean, but I went in there that day. In the men's section, like the size of the piano. So it doesn't take long for a male to be done. The women's section is like the size of this auditorium. And I went over the men's section, went through the suits, you know, just look at, they had a brand new suit, still had the tags on it. In fact, it had been altered. Somebody bought it, altered it, but never wore it. It it was a $1,200 Burberry suit. I've never owned a a suit made by Burberry. I just never have. In fact, I've never owned a $1,200 suit. But I looked at it, it had a $1,200 price ticket on it. I went and tried it on. Whoever, whoever, I mean, I'm just telling you, whoever had that thing altered, you'd have thought they measured me. It fit perfectly. I got a $1,200 suit for $1,200, for $12 rather. (laughs) I got a $1,200 suit for $1,200. That's a deal, wasn't it? (laughs) You got to get up pretty early in the morning to get one on me. I paid $12 for a suit. I've been praying about it. I've been praying about it twelve bucks. What in the world? Because there's a good God in heaven that cares about me and cares about you and cares about our children. So I've come tonight to tell you, I've come today to tell you, Fellowship Baptist Church, God wants you to win at home. I've come it's nine minutes after seven. You're ready to go, aren't you? But I've come today to tell you that God wants you to win at home. I've come to tell you today God wants you to win at home. So start a prayer life and start a family altar work on your marriage and train your children and believe God to help your family to just be an amazing, godly, happy, wonderful Christian family. God wants you to have that. Have I made sense today? Thank you all for being easy to preach to. You guys are a blessing. And I thank God for you. And Bethany and I have sure enjoyed our day with you. Let's stand for prayer.